Hello and welcome to the Courage to Be podcast, where we explore how to raise your game, lean into discomfort and have more impact and purpose. I am your host, Sinead Millard. Welcome to the Courage to Be podcast. In today's episode, I speak with Michael Serwa. So there's lots of impressive things to say about Michael. He is the UK's highest paid coach. He has been interviewed by BBC, Sky News, featured in Forbes, The Times and many more. He's in the coaching movie, the world's first full-length coaching documentary, featuring the likes of Jack Canfield, John Martini, and John Gray. But why I really want to speak to Michael today is because I see in Michael somebody who absolutely embodies the courage to be, in particular the courage to be disliked, and someone who is definitely dedicated to performing over conforming, and someone who exudes moral courage. Very briefly, Michael was my first coach, and he was instrumental in giving me the moral courage I needed to act. To be honest, I sometimes look back at that period and I surprise myself at the pace in which I moved forward, entered into a new arena, but that was all genuinely made so much easier with Michael by my side as my coach. And I'm not the only one to be fascinated by the candor and the approach of Michael. He's a standout character in his field. So that's all from me. Michael, you are welcome. Shit, what a lovely introduction. Thank you for that. So Michael, let's get straight into things, right? I'll be honest, when I came across your profile, so at a time where I genuinely knew very little about coaching, I knew I wanted to work with a coach, I was a little dubious. I wasn't sure if you were extremely confident or marginally arrogant, but I did know that I wanted a large dose of what you had. So have you always been like this or is this something that you stepped into later in life or were you the kid that manifested this also? I always had a tendency to be the way you know me Mm. today. I've always been on the confident side, but certainly not to the extreme that I am today. And what closed the gap between the above average level of confidence that I had uh, slightly above the average confidence level I have and where I am today is 13 years of personal development. And Michael, does that confidence ever get mistaken as arrogance? Oh, absolutely. On a daily basis, probably. I remember working with this top headhunter a few years ago and he said during our last session, so session number six of the three-month program, he said, Michael, I have a confession to make. I thought that you were full of shit when I first met you. Yeah. I said, that's interesting. Why would you hire a coach you thought was full of shit? Mm. And he said, I wasn't sure you were full of shit, but I had a strong suspicion that you were full of shit. And what he meant was, because he he elaborated, he couldn't comprehend that someone would be this confident, so he thought that it was an act. Mm. But then he said that was initial consultation, and after that we had six sessions, so he met me on seven different occasions, and he quickly realized that it wasn't an act, it's just who I am. And how I am, because I was consistently confident and consistently the way I was with him throughout the process. And we're looking at this was five, six years ago. So I, mean, I like to think that I've, I've improved or I evolved even further since. But yeah, to your question, absolutely. There's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. And I know I'm aware that I very much operate on that line. I can be arrogant sometimes when I know who I am at the core, as you do. Mm. And I don't mind because I know who I am. So if somebody thinks I am an asshole 
it doesn't bother me because I know I'm not. I remember a conversation that we once had and uh-huh. you said to me that there was a point in your career where you thought, you know, there's not enough people out there who, who don't like me. And I remember yeah. that really sticking with me. Can you tell us about that? I guess, how sure. did you come to this way of thinking? Sure. So when I started off back in 2011, I was like any other coach out there. Hmm. And then after around a year and a half of coaching full time, and I remember I called up my former client at the time, Oli, who, who works in advertising, or yeah. he used to work in advertising, he, he left now. I said, Oli, I had this aha moment. He's like, go on. I realized that nobody criticizes me. I'm being too much of a pussy. I'm playing it too safe. Yeah. So it was on the back of that realization, I became this no bullshit coach that I'm known for today. Mm-hmm. And you see, I talk a lot about personal branding. And if you create a personal branding that is just clever, but it's not really who you are at the core, mm-hmm. I always come from a place that people are not stupid. Yeah. Right. And you, you can only fool as much people for as long and you're going to be found out. So I don't even think about trying to manipulate people like that, the market like that, because you know I have too much respect for people's intelligence. Plus, it's not something that would sit well with me anyway. So I didn't become someone I wasn't. I just allowed myself to fully be myself and allow my coaching style to be the extension of my personality. And I've always been that no bullshit person. I'm Polish, for God's sake. We are, by definition, by default, far more direct Eastern Europeans. We are far more direct than the Westerners, right? Mm -hmm. So... It wasn't really something I had to create. I just allowed myself for the first time since I started coaching to be truly myself and come from that place. What was it that gave you the courage to step into that, you know, to see that? Because I'm, I'm kind of assuming there was a point in time where you were practicing as a coach and maybe you yeah. know, didn't have that foresight to pinpoint the no bullshit approach type dialogue. What, what, what kind of really helped you pinpoint it and step into it? So actually, it was the result of coaching mm. that I received. I was doing this business coaching program, and we did some exercises in pairs. And so that realization was partially a product of coaching I received. And when I understood that this is who I am, I just knew I had to go for it, right? Because I, I, I said, I've been, up to that point, I was coaching already for a year and a half. And I was doing okay, but I, I didn't feel like I was unique in any way. And one of the things about me as well is I've always had that sense of, I always want to stand out and be different and aim for greatness. And when you look at greatness in any line of work, in any industry, in any field, you don't get there by being like everybody else, right? So, so that was a motive in itself for me to look for that. So I think my subconscious was looking for it uh, for a long time prior to that discovery. And coming back to this former client of mine, Oli, I remember I had lunch with him. Mm. And we were talking about how they call it hooks in advertising. Like for, for advertising campaign to be really successful, there has to be a hook. Yeah. So he was telling Michael, you need a hook. And I was like, Oli, okay, that makes perfect sense, right? But I have no idea what this hook could be. And then sure enough, a little bit later, I had that discovery. I felt that nobody criticizes me. I'm playing it to save. I need to change something. And then, and then in a very short period of time, through that coaching that I was talking about, I became that non-bullshit coach. 
Okay, great. I branded myself like this as an abusive coach. Yeah, yeah. And greatness. So you mentioned greatness. I love that. And mm. you know, it's often said that greatness is only possible if we fully embrace the fact that there's a large chance that we will look like a fool in the process. Maybe though they're big. Okay, words, I like right? that. I like that. But let's just be frank, like most people are entirely unwilling to look stupid. Actually, mm. on your website, these are your words, not mine. So huh? <laughs> you say that you're a failed. Do I jazz... say that I'm stupid? No. <laughs> no. You say that you're a failed jazz trumpet player. Um, oh, big time! Can you share that experience with us? Yes. Yeah, so I I wanted to be the number one jazz trumpet player in the world, right? Mm. I wanted to be wild. Uh, wild. I wanted to be wild as well, but I wanted to be white. Miles Davis. So Miles Davis is the legend. Yes. Uh, and, and over decades, he's been producing some of the, the most amazing work in history of jazz. He passed away in 1991. So I was 16. I was a cocky punk, and and, and I wanted to play trumpet. And, and sure enough, I thought I'm going to be doing it anyway. I might as well be the best. And I really wanted it. I wanted it as badly as I wanted to become the best coach I can be. It's just I was 10 years before I discovered coaching. Mm-hmm. I went to music school, and what happened was. I realized, or I've been told, that because of how the muscles around my lips are built, to cut the really long story short, I will never be able to be the best because I was struggling to consistently hit high-pitched notes, right? So they sucked me from the music school. I was like, you know what, fuck, this sucks, but okay, who is the best jazz trumpet player alive since Miles Davis died in 1991? And the best jazz trumpet alive at that time, it was the year 2000, was a Polish guy, which was very fortunate, called Tomasz Stanko. Mm-hmm. I went to see Tomasz Stanko, and I went there with the idea that if Tomasz Stanko tells me there's hope, I will pursue it, and I'll keep playing. If Tomasz Stanko confirms what my teachers at the music school told me, I will never touch the trumpet again. And sure enough, again, cutting really long story short, I, I found his address. I went to Warsaw, to the opposite side of the country, basically, on a train for eight hours. And I got to meet the the god of jazz. And uh, he's like, okay, play the sound. I played the sound. He said, forget about it. Wow. So I was heartbroken. Like, I was heartbroken. I was heartbroken like I've never been heartbroken romantically, because for a year, I was convinced that this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And only when I discovered coaching at the age of 27, so exactly 10 years after that, I understood why I couldn't be a jazz trumpet player because as much as I loved, I still love jazz, as much as I love jazz and trumpet, etc. I love coaching even more. Well, because part of me was thinking as you were telling that story, you know, now that you know all that you know after your years of relentlessly pursuing personal development and coaching yeah. many clients, do you look back at that time and think, you know, I could have persisted, but, you know, it's interesting. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Because you see, they independently told me, so then it was a classic music school. There was no jazz school in my city at the time. They independently told me, Michael, it's not like you can't play. It's not like you're going to die from playing. It's just you need to manage your expectations. You will never be able to be the best. And it's nothing to do with how, because I practiced more than anybody else. I was obsessed. Mm. Because I I had personality. I I see that in my coaching after seven and a half years. I'm not passionate about what I do. I'm fucking obsessed, Mm. right? It's my work i.e. my clients, and then there's a gap, and there's other things in my life, right? And I had the same attitude towards trumpet. I had some girlfriends, and you know, you're 16, 17, you try wheat for the first time, but like everything was just like a noise to me. 
because I had that obsessive, I always had that, well, always, I discovered that in those trumpet years, I had that obsessive personality in terms of setting a goal and doing whatever it takes. But when I was taught independent teachers and the best jazz trumpet player alive, that I could never be the best because my body doesn't allow. It's like someone loses legs and he wants to be the fastest man in the world. Mm. I would say you can have anything you want. You can be like, there are certain physical limitations sometimes, right? If someone is not athletic enough, for example, forget about winning medals in the Olympics, right? If you're not athletic, if you have, if you have wrong genes, right? So I say you can have anything you want if you don't lack physical predispositions in order to get there. Right? It's much easier for anyone to imagine how someone in a wheelchair cannot be a, a football player and how the hell, you know, someone might not be able to play the trumpet because it, it, you, you can't even see those muscles. You can't see the problem that I had. Mm. And it's not something common either, right? But looking back, I'm glad that that didn't work out because uh, I wouldn't be where I am today. So it played out, no pun intended, played out very well at the end. And this obsession that you talk about, Michael, yeah, you know, it's something I can relate to. Are we are we born with this? Is this something? How do you support clients and find? How do you become obsessed? Like you talked about being obsessed when it came to playing a musical instrument. Then you discovered you yeah. couldn't be great at that, so you moved on to the next thing because your obsession wanted you to be great. How do you galvanize that in people in clients? You know, when you when you said that, you you see that in yourself as well. Yeah, we often talk in personal development how. In life, we don't attract what we want. If we were to attract what we want, everyone would be happy and rich. And that's obviously not the case. We attract what we are. So it's no surprise that you got attracted to me, right? When you were looking for your first coach, you, you got attracted to me, right? And it was a number of different things. And when we get attracted, when we're being drawn towards someone or something, it's sometimes we don't even know why, but we are being drawn anyway, right? Mm-hmm. So to your question... I tend to only work with people who are obsessed about something as well. I'm not interested. I know I can motivate people, but that's not my job. I expect my clients to be motivated already. I know I can make somebody work harder, but it's not within my interest to turn a lazy person into a hardworking person. You need to come to me motivated. You need to come to me hardworking. And if you're highly motivated and hardworking like you and I, then it's a simple equation. You add those and then you're obsessed, Right. And to your question about why, I don't know. I get this question asked quite a lot. Like, Michael, how come you are so ambitious? Why are you so ambitious? Why are you so driven? Are your parents like that? Does it run in your family? Absolutely not. Yeah. I'm, I'm by far the most successful, ambitious, and therefore successful. There's obviously link between the two. I'm by far the most ambitious and successful person in the history of my entire family, I think. So I can't look. I have lovely parents. I received lots of love and encouragement and support from them growing up, but they are simple people. Yeah, they're simple people. They didn't have successful career. They had normal careers, right? But they're simple people. And there certainly wasn't personal development in the household and my mother and my father going, like, dropping those personal development slogans, right? You can have anything you want, you know, this. But whatever I, I wanted to explore, they were allowing me to explore it. From your experience and having coached so many men and women, what galvanizes people into action? Yes, it's a very interesting question. And I can't give you the expert answer of it because I don't know his answer. As I mentioned earlier, I can't explain why I am so driven. If I can't explain why I am so driven, 
I'm really struggling with answering your question, right? So the best I can come up with is that some people are just wired differently. It's a little bit like what makes some people to like white wine as opposed to red wine and vice versa. Who knows, right? Is it, is it part of DNA? Is it, is it a combination of DNA and upbringing? Right? If your parents were drinking red wine, you are more likely to like red. Like I hate red wine and I love white wine. It's like I can't explain why. So maybe it's a bit of a too simplistic of analogy, but shit, I really don't know. They don't come to me because you see, they wouldn't come to me. But they were like, you know, I can't be bothered to wake up in the morning, uh, no interest, no desire to better myself. But I don't get to meet those people, right? Especially at this chapter of my career, right? They just don't come to me. But the ones that do, they can come from all walks of life, all walks of life, any background, any age group, any demographic of any kind. And some people just have it, some people don't. And, and it's just very personal thing. It's like that preference. Some people are relatively happy with a nine to six, and I, I have nothing against that. If I meet somebody working nine to six, and they, they don't really like it. I don't say anything. It's none of my business. Mm. I don't care. I only care about helping people who come to me for help. I don't go around and say, hey, listen, you know, you shouldn't be sitting here on the sidewalk asking for money. You should go and get a job. Like, I don't care. If that's what you want to do, fucking do it. It's just none of my business. You know, I don't go, I, I'm judgmental, but not in that way, if that makes sense. Like, I'm the big advocate for, for everyone doing what they want to do, for doing what makes them happy. As long as it doesn't hurt other people, then they should be locked in prison. Yeah. So like, oh, do what makes me happy. What if I like to abuse women? All right, then you fucking asshole. You should be in prison. Yeah. Right? That's what I think. But like, other than that, those extreme examples, do what makes you happy. Yeah. I never for one second, I had this amazing cleaner. She now left back to Poland. I had this amazing cleaner for four years. And I never thought, oh, this girl, look at her. You know, this working class girl, you know, being my cleaner, she's doing, she could do so much more. I didn't think she could. And she was so fucking good at her job. And she seemed to like her job probably as much as I like my job. I never thought, hmm, I need to help this girl. Oh, she's really like, what's wrong with being a cleaner? If you fucking like it. You know, I would rather hang out. I, I loved her so much. I would rather talk to my cleaner who is happy and positive and always smiling and reliable and doing a good job than some miserable fucking lawyer. Their partner in the firm who hates his life, but he got used to 700K a year. And now, you know, he dreams about being a cleaner <laughs> and doing a simple job, right? Yeah. Work with his hands. But now he's used to his 700K a year and he has family, three kids, and he can't leave the job. I don't want to spend time with that person unless that person comes to me. In fact, I'm starting with one lawyer today and another one tomorrow. Yeah. It's an interesting time talking about lawyers. Unless they come to me and say, Michael, I'm not happy anymore. Can you help? Sure. Let's do something about it. But to spend time with someone just complaining about the job or the life, the partner, whatever it is, the weight, and not doing anything about it, I'm leaving the room. Michael, coming back to, you know, the courage to be, in particular, the courage to be disliked, right? Yeah. What would you say to listeners out there who are struggling with this? Because quite honestly, irrespective of who I'm in front of when it comes to clients, on some yeah. level, they are struggling yeah. with this, right? Universal yeah. need for all of us is in some, you know, we want to be liked. We want to be um, of accepted, approved, mm. right? And, and the reality yeah. of it is, 
it's human nature. Not everybody will like you. Um, and I'm not talking about yeah. acting in order to be disliked, but it's acting and acceptance yeah. of the fact that you may be disliked. So what would you say sure. to people out there who are genuinely struggling with this, who are considering whether or not they'll make a particular change in their life or whatever that may look like for them, but worried about how that may be perceived by society or a particular person? Sure, great question, because as you said, all of your clients, same with my clients, even some of the most successful people I've worked with, financially successful or successful in the fields or whatever, have struggled with that. Most of my clients struggle with that. And I think that so-called nice people struggle with it more than the others. Mm. Because if you, let's face it, if you're a prick, you just don't care. But we do, right? And then... Again, since we attract what we are, I, I know who I am at the core, I get to attract lots of lots of nice people. All my clients are just nice, decent human beings, right? Mm -hmm. And no matter how successful they are, they have a problem with that acceptance of other people, hurting other people, oh, I don't want to offend that person, or I didn't mean that. And, and I can so relate to it because I was that person. I was that person until I stopped being that person. And now... When I say I stop, it's not like I suddenly don't care about what other people think about me yeah. or of me. I do. I just don't care to the point where I would edit my behavior, mm. right? I 100% care about what other people think about me, but I'm not willing to change, right? On the micro level, sure. If you're my client, say, oh, Michael, I don't know, like... I'm looking for an example, hugely hypothetical. If somebody asks me to adjust my coaching style so ever so slightly, be more gentle or be harder on them, it's like, sure, yeah, thank you for your feedback. But if somebody says, for example, a, a client, Michael, I do have a problem, or during the consultation, I do have a problem with you swearing. Do you think that if we were to work together, could you not swear? I said, no. No chance. <laughs> no chance. Unless you are BBC and I'm doing an interview for you because you can't swear on BBC. Okay. Then, you know, it's like, okay, I cannot swear for a minute and a half interview, but I'm not going to be coaching someone for three months and, and watch my tongue. You know, there's a reason why I said my website, my coach is PG-18. I don't work with teenagers and I don't work with particularly sensitive people because just I don't want to edit myself. But I do want to be liked. I always want to be liked. I'm a people pleaser. Uh, I'm a patient seeker. But I no longer are willing to be someone who I'm not just to please other people. And this is the discovery. This is a breaking point or turning point. Rather, not breaking point. Turning point I've experienced only at the age of 32. Michael, right, so four years ago. Yeah, that's amazing. And genuinely, thanks for sharing that so candidly, because I think that it's, you know, especially someone like you, right, who exudes confidence and, you know, mm. your direct approach and all of those things. But, you know, to hear that, yeah, I mean, I, I still want people to like me, but I'm not going yeah. to jeopardize where it is I'm going big just time. to be liked. Yeah. <laughs> This is, this is such a big topic. I mean, obviously, this is the main topic that you wanted to discuss mm. on this podcast. So let me elaborate a, a little bit further. When I find myself being criticized, which is not rare, when I find myself being criticized, I remind myself that, and I'm not religious at all, but I remind myself that both Jesus and Gandhi had critics. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and not just critics. They fucking died in the hands of critics. They were both assassinated, using a strong word. Mm. And as nice as I think I am, I think we would all agree that Jesus and Gandhi were arguably even nicer than I am. 
So I'm thinking, who the fuck am I to think that those guys could be criticized and I wouldn't, right? Yeah. Like, to my understanding of history, all they wanted is peace and love for everyone, those two guys. And they still had so many critics. They still died in the hands of critics. So who the fuck you think you are listening to this podcast to think that somehow you will be off the hook because you are a nice human being and therefore you don't understand why somebody would not like you or criticize you. No matter what you do and who you are, there will always be at least one asshole that will have a problem with you. Yeah, and, right? and it's human nature. And I mean, it's like... It'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. It, it's taste. You cannot like everybody. It is taste yeah. as well. And I think yeah, the white wine or red wine. Yeah. yeah, and the reality is that we may as well be disliked whilst we're doing what it is we wish to do because we'll be disliked anyway. And exactly. there's nothing worse than doing the exactly. things... Exactly. You know, and, and I think back to my corporate days, I definitely felt more liked and accepted by society as a whole. It was easy to say, oh yeah, I work in records, I'm a brand manager. The title made me feel very liked and approved, by, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. all those things that go with it. So very often the nature and some of the pain body that comes with stepping into a new arena is a little bit more of a play with that. And that's part of the package. It almost becomes a little bit addictive though sometimes. It's like, this mm. is part of the package and you it's, it's once you make that move into to the fact that I will be disliked there will be certain people that won't approve of what it is I have to say or what it is I stand for there's a huge yeah. amount of freedom that comes with that acceptance yeah absolutely uh, absolutely yeah. and it, it's you know you use the word freedom I was thinking about word liberating because when I had that turning point at 32 four years ago it just I had this turning point after giving a talk and the recording of the stuff is on YouTube it's a 17 minute talk I'm wearing a white shirt and inspired something stage whatever so I gave this talk four years ago and it was the most honest I've been on either interview or, or giving a talk and to my surprise to my surprise I got the best feedback ever on the back of that because people were talking about authenticity what's the benefit of leaving life on your terms and saying what you think and and saying it in the way you want to say, you will come across as authentic, which will allow the right people to connect with you on a deeper level. And sure enough, it will push away the wrong people, but why would you care about the wrong people anyway? Yeah, yeah. It's something that, that Kurt Cobain said, I would rather have you hate me for who I am than love me for who I am not. Mm, yeah. yeah, I don't mind, like, I don't like certain people. It doesn't mean I don't respect them, I just don't like them, I don't like their energy. I don't like red wine doesn't mean I, ooh, red wine is disgusting. No, it's just I don't like it. And I don't drink it. I don't touch it. No big deal. Yeah, I just stay away from people I don't like. The like and respect right? thing, that's interesting, isn't it? Because yeah. there's a big difference. I actually had a client yesterday working in corporate and managing a team. And that's something that came up. It's like you know, we are actually respected for making tough decisions. Maybe it's not yeah. liked, but it's respected. Yeah, I mean, in example, the, the biggest guy in personal development, Tony Robbins, I always respected him. I never liked him. Yeah. It's not my cup of tea. Mm. It's not my cup of tea. But I can't say there's something wrong, like, oh, this is what's wrong with Tony Robbins. It's just he's not my kind of guy, right? I love his mentor, Jim Rohn. He's my favorite person in personal development. Mm. I love Jim Rohn. And, I, and it's the white wine versus red wine, each to their own. But that's Tony Robbins wake up in the morning, worry about the fact that Michael Serval doesn't like him. First of all, he doesn't even know that. If he asked me the right question, I would tell him, but I don't know if he will. It doesn't matter. 
yeah. the end of the day, it doesn't matter. So another way of putting it, it's not that, as I said, I do want people to like me. And if I had a choice, if I could engineer it that way, manipulate it that way, the outcome in that way, I would have every single human on the planet to like me if I could. Yep. So I want that, but I don't need that. So it's okay if you want it. The problem is if you need it, if you need that external validation. Because the whole idea is for you, and this is what I achieved through personal development, and this is what my clients achieved with my help, if that's what we worked on, right, is for you to feel so fucking good about yourself that you don't need other people to confirm it. Mm. When people make me a compliment, of course I will take it. I like compliments. I'm not seeking compliments. Mm. Because no matter what you can say or anybody can say about me, I probably already fucking know it. Oh, Michael, you are so awesome. Oh, you are awesome. I love yourself. Oh, thank you. I, I kind of know that I'm awesome. Right? Like, I, I would take it, but I don't need it. So I don't seek it. And when you get to that point, you are automatically becoming much easier to be around. Because just like you're a woman, right? You've dated guys, I'm sure not, you know, before Billy, right? <laughs> you've dated guys, and I'm sure you've had at least one encounter in your life where you're like, oh, that's a good-looking guy, oh, it's nice, whatever. But the moment he became too needy, you lost interest, Yeah. right? You guys, oh, you know, oh, this was, was going so well, but like five messages a day, oh, that's not, and you lost interest. You saw that as a kind of desperate behavior, like he was seeking validation. Mm-hmm. He wanted you a bit too much, and you lost interest as a woman. And, and that same dynamic will apply to us in general, men, women, doesn't matter. So there is a certain level of comfort that comes with being around someone who doesn't need the compliments, who doesn't need you to make them feel good about themselves. Yeah. They already come good. Absolutely. They're already good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's contagious. It's Yeah. 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 It's just easy. It's like, you know, imagine you know, interacting with someone, no matter what you say to them, it's like no matter what anyone can say to me, they cannot offend me. They cannot offend me. You cannot offend someone who is so sold on the idea of not superiority. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't think I'm better than anyone. But I certainly don't think that anyone is better than me. I'm not better than my cleaner, but none of those people are better than me, right? So that's the place I come from every day. And we say, oh, Michael, I'm sorry. I I hope I didn't offend you. I said, don't worry, you can't offend me. You can't. And, And I know it sounds arrogant when you say that. You can't offend me. But like, you can't. Because I don't give you the power to offend me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want you to give you the power to offend me. And I, I won't give you this power because I, I decide on that. I decide on my value. I don't wait for other people to decide on my value. Michael, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. The pleasure was fine. I'm, I'm disappointed because I'm only getting started here. Uh-huh. Like it, it was like a nice first round warm up. You know, I'll come back. Uh, at, I'll come back at episode twenty, and you can talk us through um, the next new exciting thing that you're working on. If more people liked it and hated it, then then then, then you might want to consider it. Sure. Absolutely, absolutely. It's been been a pleasure, Michael. And Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If there's something that you've heard in this episode that has resonated with you, or perhaps you think it could benefit someone else, then please do share this link or start the conversation. 
If you haven't done so already, click on the subscribe button in your listening app. And as always, I really value your feedback. So please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. And for more information, full show notes, links and resources, you can pop over to my website, SineadMillard.com. See you next time back here on The Courage To Be.